are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thank you, Greg. Well, isn't it good to spend time in God's word this morning? Thank you for making your way through the white and drifty snow as the song goes. And to our brothers and sisters at home, we're with you. You're with us in the Spirit. We're going to open up Luke 1 together. Have you ever had an assignment, the kind that we asked about in the table question, that made your heart pound a little bit faster? You could feel it in your chest. Have you ever heard your heart pound in your ears? Have you ever had something entrusted or expected of you that seemed a little bigger than what you are comfortable with? Across the room, I'm assuming that's the case. Somewhere in your life, your number has been called and you weren't sure why. Have you ever had to carry a responsibility that had a certain weight to it? And you had to carry it more slowly, more deliberately with each step. I remember having to carry a plate of spaghetti out to the patio for dinner as a kid. You know how slippery spaghetti is on a glass plate? So it's this heaping plate of spaghetti with the sauce on top. I've got one job, and that is to get safely to the outdoor seating area for dinner on the patio. So there I was. I carefully navigated the three steps down from the kitchen, and I'm making my way across the floor when suddenly I got off kilter, and the whole plate of spaghetti is down on the carpet. (laughs) Probably we can all think of a time when we were given that kind of task or responsibility that felt too big for us, certainly as a kid, but also as grown-ups. Something at work, students, something at school, for all of us, something in our home life or relationships. How many of you have taken a baby home and then you have felt the enormity of that task as those two big eyes in a bundle have stared back at you? In a sense, that's the scene before us today in Luke 1. It's a story about a mom and a baby. 
the angel's announcement to Mary. And I've got to tell you at the outset, it's one of my favorite Bible stories right here, the one that we look at today. I hope that you have a little list that is developing over time, these kinds of favorite Bible stories, these places in Scripture where it just seems to quicken your spirit and you see and hear God catching your attention in a certain story or a certain passage that he is, in a sense, highlighting specifically for you. This passage has some profound lines in it that are foundational, things that we'll study today that you can take to the bank that will just anchor you in the promises of God that he speaks over your life. Preaching has been called a ministry of reminder. I don't know if you've heard it referred to as that before. What it means is I'm not going to really ever share anything new with you. It emerges right from these pages. And then perhaps a story that you have heard many times across your life. The story that Greg just read for us, you've heard it maybe dozens of times before. And we can easily forget the truths that God has spoken to us when that happens. And so we return again and again to his word. And today and during Advent, we're returning to this familiar story to remember the Christmas story. I was fortunate to grow up in a house where we regularly had good preaching on the radio. The radio, yes, before podcasts, before the internet existed. That was uh, what I grew up listening to at my house. Also good 70s music, I remember that too from my parents, but good preaching. And parents, I want to remind you to not underestimate the effect of what you listen to and how that impacts the kids in your household or your grandkids. So there I was growing up and uh, day after day listening to Chuck Swindoll's Insights for Living. I can still hear the theme music. Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. That would be on our, our radio or in the car. And one of the things that I learned from Chuck Swindoll was, this is a kid, how much fun it can be to study the Bible. And I hope that's something that we're getting to discover here together. Just to walk through a passage the way that he would, to discover its meaning and to make application, that's all that he did day after day. And it's what I have in mind for us as we take up this passage, to take a fairly familiar Bible story and to walk through it. And in the end, we're going to see God making promises and that his promises are always trustworthy and true. Whatever you're navigating in your life right now, across the age spectrum of this gymnasium, Whatever it is that is on your plate right now, there are greater promises and a greater God than any obstacle that you are facing. And of course, it's all centered in Jesus, the Savior who will be born to Mary. So let's begin at the top of the passage, Luke one twenty six, And we're just going to walk through this wonderful narrative. It says it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy which orients us to the story we were in last week. Elizabeth and Zechariah, that older couple who had not been able to have children, but God promised them a son who would be a forerunner to the Messiah, someone who would prepare the people for their Savior. So that was last week, and now here we are six months later. Does God sometimes pause 
Is there sometimes a pause between a, a word spoken from him? Absolutely. So six months later, the follow-up message is now appearing to Mary. And God does it in the same manner. He sends the angel Gabriel. Now usually we're not privy to the names of angels in the Bible, but there are some exceptions. And Gabriel is mentioned by name three times. Last week with Zechariah, this week with Mary, and earlier in the Bible in Daniel chapter 8. Those assignments, those other two, they send him to places like Babylon and Jerusalem, two impressive places on the map. But look here, on this third occasion, Gabriel is sent to an address in Nazareth in the region of Galilee. Later in the Gospels, one of Jesus' own disciples will comment on this and say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's one of those places you wouldn't think twice about on the map. If you've been on a road trip, you know you have those milestones and those places of importance that you're passing through. This would have hardly registered to you and I. Nazareth. I could think of probably a bunch of Minnesota town names that we could make equivalent to this, but I I don't want to pick on your hometown, so I will not mention any by name because then I'd be in trouble. But those are the kinds of places that we're talking about. And that is where the angel Gabriel is sent by God to deliver the most important news that the world has ever received. And not just to Nazareth, a little blip on the radar, but also to a peasant girl who lived there named Mary. In the social status rankings of their day, Mary would have been quite low on the list. She is an unimportant girl in a patriarchal society. She is an unimportant girl in an unimportant town. And I wonder if Gabriel was having to check the address on Google Maps or whatever he was using. You ever do that? You know, you think you're there, but you're double-checking the the number, the street address. I wonder if he had to double-check and make sure he was at the right place before he went up to knock on the door. And I wonder what time of day it was. This is a historic scene. This actually happened. Can you take yourself there? Can you ask yourself these questions? What time of day was it? What was Mary doing when Gabriel arrived? What day of the week was it? Was she tending to housework, we might presume, at her age and station in life? What we do know about Mary, aside from those details, is that she was young. And in keeping with the customs of the day, Mary would have been about 13 when we do the math in the Bible. She would have been about 13 when the angel arrived on her doorstep. When Jesus is born, our best estimates put her at about 14 years old. In their day, you didn't have anything like teenage years, you know, which is so common. I I mean, I've heard young adulthood described up to 30 now in Western Europe and in America but not so in their day. You went from child to adult when you hit puberty. It happened that fast. And so Mary, at age 13, was already betrothed to be married. Regardless, with Mary at 13 when this happens, we do need to remember, uh, whatever age she was, that she was young. That's how we describe her. And if you are a young person sitting here today, I want to invite you to take special note of this detail. 
Maybe you're here today and you are in your teens. Maybe you're a middle schooler or you're in high school or college. Our definition of what it means to be a young person. But make no mistake, God uses and chooses young people for his plans. All across the Bible. And not just young people. So those of us who are older, we're not counted out either, right? Just think to last week, Zachariah and Elizabeth, the other end of the age spectrum, and no less important to God. But here today we focus on the fact that God uses young people. And I want to invite you to think of some of the other examples across Scripture. David fighting Goliath. Remember Goliath taunting him? You'd send out a boy to fight against me? What's another example? How about Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat? That Joseph. He was 17. It's one of those where the Bible actually tells us his age. He was 17, a junior in high school. How about Esther? How about the boy with the loaves and the fish who uh, donated them to Jesus for the feeding of the 5,000? Or one of my favorite characters, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Did you know that Jeremiah was, I almost said was a bullfrog. That would have been the wrong, <laughs> wrong direction. Did you know he was somewhere between 13 and 16 when God's call came on his life? 13 to 16 years old. Students who are here this morning, watching at home, young adults, mark this today, that God uses young people, and also mark it because you're going to want to see Mary's response. If you want to see what faith looks like, call it what you will, teenage faith, but bold faith at any age, Mary is one of the best examples that you could find. It is not complicated. She doesn't have some kind of image that she is trying to maintain. No, God comes to an ordinary girl from a small town, and we'll see how she responds to him later in the story. For now, let's make one last introductory note, and that is, it says she is betrothed, she's engaged to a man named Joseph, who comes from the line of David. And we'd have to turn to Matthew to read more of the story from Joseph's perspective. But here in Luke, he's introduced in terms of his lineage, which is a vital detail that the angel is going to pick up again in the announcement. Verse 28, let's keep looking at the text. Verse 28 says, The angel went to her. We don't know if he knocked or just appeared or flew into the room. But he arrives and says, Greetings, You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Thirteen-year-old girl, and these are the words that are spoken to her. I will tell you that most depictions of Mary picture her much older than 13, don't they? For our Catholic friends, you're going to recognize these words, maybe with a slightly different variation. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Sounds familiar? The literal translation, though, is not full of grace. Even in the Catholic Bible, it is favored one. And that's what the Greek says. One who has received much grace is what that means. Now, Catholic theology tends to, it tends to overdo it with Mary. I'll say that with a great deal of respect for my Catholic brothers and sisters. 
There's a veneration of Mary that exists in Roman Catholic theology that simply does not come out of Scripture or was practiced in the early church. And yet those of us who come from a Protestant background, so those of us who might have some church residue that is Lutheran or Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, free church, non-denominational, whatever flavor the ice cream might be, we can risk overcorrecting and missing the opportunity that we are given here to learn from Mary. That for some reason, she is highly favored. Now that doesn't mean that she has earned God's favor or attention. She is like Abraham, in a sense, plucked out of history. Neither of them deserving, but God in His grace choosing them for a distinct purpose. And yet I would suppose, based on what we see of Mary, even in this very passage, that she was a young woman who knew what it meant to walk with God. Thirteen years old. Can you walk intimately with the Lord at age 13? Yes. Yes, you can. Can you have a maturity of faith as a teenager that is richer and deeper than some of the adults around you? Yes. That must have been Mary. God saw in her a heart posture that was saying yes to him and to his ways. And I almost imagine God in his divine plans saying, that is the kind of heart that I am looking for. A heart that is open and receptive to me. I can do a lot with a heart that is in that kind of posture. So the angel says, greetings, you are highly favored. And then this line, the second one, the Lord is with you. Somewhere during seminary, I did a topical study of encounters just like this one. So this was in the list. And what I got to do in a preaching class was look at all these examples where God shows up with an assignment for somebody. Where God has a calling for someone. And I looked at a a number of examples, including names like Moses and Gideon and Jeremiah and, of course, Mary. And the circumstances across those stories vary widely, as widely as our circumstances in this room. And as far as what God was asking them to do, none of them repeated one of the other stories, but there was one thing that showed up every single time in every single encounter, and that was this statement, the Lord is with you. And you know, when God says something more than once, you want to start paying close attention. This kept popping up. I wasn't looking for it. One story to the next across the pages of Scripture, and this kept showing up. And one of the truths of this passage that I would love for you to be able to walk out of this space with this morning as we're finished is that the Lord is with those who fear Him. Not afraid of Him, but those who revere Him. Like Mary. Psalm 25 in the ESV. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Psalm 25, 14. The friendship, you hear that? Of the Lord 
is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Look at the next line. Listen to it. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. I think Mary knew that. I think she knew the Psalms. I think she knew Psalm 25. And do you ever think that she felt like her feet were stuck in a net? In the fowler's snare? Listen to what she sings later in Luke 1. She sings this. She says, He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. And I'm asking you, my friends, this morning, if you know that these things are true of you too, they are not just recorded in the pages of history as some kind of pick-me-up lesson, but these are true. It's not a category that is reserved for the Marys and Moses and heroes of faith. He is mindful of the humble state of His servants who are in this room. And if we will bend our knees before Him, Zechariah said his tender mercy will come like the rising sun. That's the conditional part, I think, of this promise. All those examples that I named. Grace is not automatic. It is not forced into the hands of the unbelieving. But it is to be received by faith. Imperfect. Your faith and mine. Fearful. Tenuous, yes, but faithful. And then we live with this promise pronounced over our life. The Lord is with you. Jesus said, before ascending to heaven, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Some of you are, I know, navigating chronic illnesses. We have some in our church body who have to watch at home because they cannot get here. Some of you are living right now with great disappointment or ruptured relationships. Some of you with wounds from your childhood or your past that have refused to close and heal. Some of you are walking out things with your kids right now, whether they're little kids or they're big kids, that are just tough, just plain scary. Some of you are nearing the end of your earthly life and you are in a season where you are letting go of more and more every year. Some of you are students who are trying to find your place, especially after these last couple of years. Trying to find your place, maybe struggling with some kind of sin pattern, something that's got a hold of your life feels bigger than you. Some of you have given up certain things. You have sacrificed on behalf of others. Some of you right now are wondering where God is leading you to and how to hear his voice. In all this wrestling, there comes this clear, steady promise to you this morning that the Lord is with you. There are no complicated Bible words In that statement. You notice that? Not even in the Greek. It is that simple and straightforward. There is nothing hard to pronounce here. Perhaps just hard to believe. And yet it's true. 
This Advent season, I invite you to cling to His Word perhaps like you never have before. And its ultimate fulfillment will come to you in trusting Jesus. The passage says that Mary's troubled by the angel's words. She's wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And maybe Gabriel could see it on her face. Or maybe like many scenes with angels, she had fallen to her knees at his arrival. Because he assures her without her even asking, he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. He says, I'll paraphrase here, you're going to give birth to a son and you shall call him Jesus. We discovered last week, I don't know if you remember, the meanings of these names are pretty significant. Remember the meaning of Zechariah? The Lord remembers. And Elizabeth, my God, is an oath. That means he keeps his promises. And now here we have the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He rescues us. We have a Savior. And then listen to the angel's description of Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And this is what God's people have been waiting to hear since these words were spoken to David, King David, in 2 Samuel 7, where it says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And I want to ask you just by simple assessment this morning, how are the kingdoms of the world doing right now? Ours included. You know, on my way in this morning, I'm hearing about Russian troops on the border to Ukraine more and more. You look at the geopolitical landscape, it does not give us great reason for hope, does it? It feels like we're constantly at the tipping point of another major problem. One day away from the next major headline. And don't we long for it to be over? For peace? To reign? We do. We feel it in our bones that we need someone to step in and sort it out. Don't we long for a good and safe home where we have permanency? Forever? No more ebb and flow, but we just belong? And it's safe? And it's good? It's whole? The angel is saying to Mary... Essentially, Mary, the wait is over. The kingdom of God is being established and your baby will be its king. Mary then rightly asks, well, that's great. Again, this is a paraphrase. I don't know if she said it's great, but um, her question was, how can I have a baby if I'm a virgin? Mary's faithful, but she's also practical. And she knows enough about human health and anatomy to know that there is a missing piece of the puzzle here. And that is her question. And yet it's not a missing piece of the puzzle for God. It is exactly what he has orchestrated. And how sweet is the truth of the virgin birth. It really is. If this miracle did not happen, you could close this book after Luke chapter 2. 
because it doesn't matter. There would be nothing here to see. Jesus would be a normally conceived baby. The Bible would be mistaken. And Jesus would not be the Son of God. He would not be capable of bearing our sin or providing forgiveness. The virgin birth is a critical doctrine and a beautiful part of the Christmas story. Gabriel says to Mary's question, essentially, God's got this covered. The Holy Spirit has this covered. He is at work within you. And the baby to be born will be called the Son of God. And then the news about Elizabeth. What a joy to Mary's 13-year-old heart that must have been. Their family units were so tightly knit. And here she knew all the years of her memory that she had this relative Elizabeth who'd never been able to conceive. A shame, a travesty in their culture. This couple who'd never had a child. And the angel says, even Elizabeth... Mary, you think this is impossible for you? Listen to this. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then this zinger. For no word from God will ever fail. Leave it to Gabriel to bring that one home. Have you ever forgotten this, by the way? Have you ever forgotten that the promises of God are true and trustworthy always? God reminds us right here. None of his words will fail. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will never fail. And I want to close this morning by sharing... uh, Personal reminder, we probably should do testimonies here more at the Y Church. Can I get an amen from the congregation? These stories are out there. And in this word uh, to me, I just felt like I wanted to share something that happened yesterday with you. And we'll close here. It's a story not to illustrate anything about me, but to illustrate this truth about God. So two months ago, uh, Esther and I were living normal life with three kids. And it was on October 6th, it's with Craig Otto at a church conference that the word first came. And so I just want to fast forward to one particular portion of this story as we have added to our family from the foster care system. One of the realities that was immediately, any of you very practically minded, So I'm thinking as we're weighing this and feeling the Lord say yes to this, that, I don't know, maybe men, this will resonate with you. Well, we don't have a car big enough to fit this many people. You know, there's probably 10 other things I should have been thinking, but that was really at the top of my mind. We were going to outgrow our seven-passenger minivan. And so on the expense side of things, this was going to be the biggest piece of the puzzle was affording a vehicle that is pretty big that we had not planned on or put money aside for. We found a vehicle that then we purchased and uh, we took out a loan from the bank to do that. Esther and I then were out at a church conference for YMCA congregations in New York and on November 4th, the second night of the conference, 
a friend of ours at this conference, uh, someone I've worked with for years. He's uh, Director of Christian Mission in Indianapolis for the Y. We hadn't said anything. We were kind of on a little baby moon and just kind of um, celebrating this. A couple of our friends knew. And he got up front at chapel night number two. And he says, hey, here's what Bjorn and Esther have going on. They're probably going to have some expenses. They're buying a, a van that they can't afford. And he says, I just feel called to empty my wallet. And he says, if you feel led to do the same, just invite you to do that. Yesterday, and I'll bring this story to a close, exactly one month from November 4th, our vehicle was paid for in full. And I want to tell you how this happened. I listed it on Facebook Marketplace, our old van to sell. And we've experienced so much kindness from our friends here at church. Carol and, and Mike Lynn were over and helping with the kids in the afternoon, giving Esther and I a little break. And so during that time is when this father and son arrived to look at our old van, the seven-passenger one that we don't fit in anymore. They show up, and they knew why we had needed a larger van. Somewhere in just the phone conversation before they came up from Red Wing, I had just shared why we were getting rid of our van. So we're in the garage, they've taken it for a test drive, and they put this money down, this cash, and told me what it was. Okay, I am the seller, and I tell them, no, no, I want to sell it to you for this, for a lower number. They look at me, this father-son, looking for kind of a starter car for their son. They're followers of Jesus. We met on Facebook Marketplace. They said, no, no, we're paying this amount. We want to help. If I had sold it for what I asked them for, it wouldn't be paid off. But they insisted. And then they prayed over me in my own garage. Does God do this kind of stuff? We will have a title that will have never had a lien holder's name on it for that new vehicle. It belongs to God. Whatever circumstance is stretching you right now, I want to bear testimony to the fact that God is with you. His word never fails. And then what do you and I get to do? Look at Mary's response and we'll finish here. Moses didn't say this. Gideon didn't say it. Jeremiah sure didn't say it, but Mary gets it. And she says, well, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Anybody want to say that this morning? Can I see your hand? I'm saying it this morning. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Whatever it is you're walking through, wherever you're being stretched, wherever God is asking you to be obedient, it's not going to be on you. It's not going to be your own resources or strength. You just get to say, okay, Lord. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, your word is so rich to us this morning. You have fed us, Lord. You have fed us with truth and mercy and your promises that can always be counted on. 
And each one of us, Lord, is invited by your spirit to contextualize this this morning for our own life and circumstance. You know, Lord, some of us are, are really stuck right now. Some of us have big questions we're wrestling with. Wondering what 2022 will hold. And Lord, we surrender these things to you this morning. And we ask that we will leave this space with a singular sense of trusting you. That your word never fails. And now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.